Hello and welcome to this episode 43 of the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack and I'm recording this on Thursday the 7th of September 2017. This week's episode is a long one. It was recorded at the IndieCon magazine conference in Hamburg at the end of August, and it features me speaking with Steve Anglesey, the digital content director at the New European newspaper. We were the first ones on stage at the start of two days discussing magazines that are trying to make a difference in the world. And as you'll hear, there were lots of questions at the end. So we ended up going on for nearly an hour of anti-Brexit invective. The New European was both a bit of an odd fit and also the perfect project for kicking things off at IndieCon. As the name would suggest, IndieCon is a conference for independent publishers and the New European is made by Archant, which is the publisher of some of the UK's oldest newspaper titles. Also, IndieCon is a magazine event and the New European is very much a newspaper published on a weekly schedule on a tabloid format. But as you'll hear from Steve, there are actually lots of similarities between what they're doing and the independent magazines that we're used to working with in that this is a print product created by a small team on a low budget and driven by passion and the need to respond to something. The most impressive part of the whole story, I think, is that they're making such a success of it, running profitably a year on from launch and the recipients of six major press awards, not three as I say in my introduction, sorry Steve. It's fair to say our conversation takes a partisan approach to Brexit and if you voted for Britain to leave the EU, there will be plenty for you to disagree with here, but I hope you can still enjoy this conversation with Steve Anglesey from The New European. We're here today to talk um, about the new European. Uh, Steve Anglesey is the digital content director, and the new European is a pretty extraordinary newspaper for several different reasons. So, um, this is a, a print newspaper that was launched last year. Now, certainly in the UK, we're seeing that the independent magazine has just uh, online, so you know, print circulations are falling across the board, revenues are falling across the board. Nobody is launching new titles in newspapers at the moment. So that's one thing, I'm not supposed to do that. They launch a new newspaper. Um, it comes out every Thursday, so it's a news weekly, um, which again is nothing remarkable over here in Germany, but in the UK we don't have news weekly, so I don't know if you're not supposed to do that in the UK, but they did it. Um, it's 64 pages, it's printed by Archer, which is a publisher of small local newspapers primarily. And it was launched in nine days as a response to Brexit. Because we had this vote last year, which uh, myself and most right-thinking people in the UK never thought was going to happen the night before. I mean, saying it's getting closer than it should be, but don't worry, it's never going to happen. Uh, and then it happened. And so Steve and a bunch of other people uh, took nine days, they produced a newspaper which was really only supposed to exist for a few weeks just as a response to this catastrophic political decision that had been made. Uh, and in July this year, they celebrated their first birthday. Uh, they won three awards in their first year. They are selling 20,000 copies around about a, uh, a week. 
and they're profitable. Yeah. Round of applause. <laughs> So we're going to talk a little bit, Steve, about how and why you came to the world, sure. how you make this profitable newspaper. But I think, first of all, um, we need to have a bit of context. So yes. Brexit was a decision that was taken just over a year ago. Yes. We haven't left Europe, obviously, yet. No. No one really seems to know how we're going to leave Europe. What's all this doing to you and the newspaper? How do you make a paper about Brexit when it's happening in this way? Well, I always feel like as two British men we should start by apologising to our European <laughs> audience about, yeah, about this idea. whole thing. Sorry, <laughs> you don't really hate me. It wasn't our fault. Um, as British people, we will apologise for several things that I like. Yes, that's right. In the course of the weekend. If you walk into me, I'll apologise to you later. So, well, uh, as, as Stephen said, we, we intended to be a... We, we launched as uh, a pop-up newspaper, uh, and we intended to publish for four weeks. And uh, what has happened then has made it impossible for us to pop down. Uh, there is a great amount of chaos at a government level about how this is going to work. The opinion polls, which were very, very close to begin with, the, the, the final vote was 51.8% uh, voted to leave, 48.2% uh, voted to stay. So it was very close to begin with. The opinion polls have now turned, although not significantly, so now if, if we had a rerun tomorrow, the vote would be 52-53% to stay. Uh, the British government is publishing a lot of position papers, having not really seemed to take the whole process seriously uh, to begin with. Uh, uh, their view of what Brexit looks like appears to be that we get all of the benefits of being in the EU without paying for them. Uh, which is a very British thing to do. Um, and, and so uh, the, 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 the combination of all of that means that we have not run out of things to, um, with to, things to talk about, far from it. I anticipate that we'll be talking about this all the way until uh, March 2019, uh, but I really hope that, um, that we've we managed to some way pull back from this huge self-inflicted national disaster. Okay, so you, you can see which side of the spectrum Stephen and I are on. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested, Stephen, to talk about if the referendum is taken again next week. Uh, we've yeah. away. So we, we've had a general election as yes. well since then. So the, we had a, a general election this year, and the Liberal Democrats uh, ran on a manifesto of we're going to be the party of Europe and another referendum. And that didn't do anything, nothing seems to happen. And actually a lot of the commentary seems to be, do you know what, people just want to get it done now. It's a, the decision's been taken, you might not agree with it, but let's just get it done. How do you deal with that? Uh, well, I think that's a fair comment. I think that the, the case of the Liberal Democrats was really interesting. Uh, the, the, the whole general election was, was, was fascinating. Theresa May, who as you know is our terrible Prime Minister, uh, went into this demanding, she had a small majority of 15 seats, she wanted a larger majority to push through a hard Brexit uh, to try and get the 
the, the give a, a leverage to get the, the the best possible deal for Britain by by uh, having this fantasy world of uh, we're not going to pay anything as a divorce bill uh, and you're going to give us everything for nothing that we had before. Uh, the Liberal Democrats. Um, did say a second referendum on the uh, on the, um, the, the the final Brexit deal, but what happened to that Liberal Democrat campaign right at the start? The leader of the Liberal Democrats was a guy called Tim Farron, and about a day into the campaign, uh, he was asked uh, live on TV whether he thought gay marriage was a bad idea, and sort of refused to say. That, um, uh, he refused to say that, that he, 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 he tried to fudge it. Um, uh, it's almost like he didn't really read the description of the word liberal when he chose to become the leader of the Liberal Democrats. Um, so that camp, so that his campaign was a, was a complete disaster. What did happen though was that unexpectedly and against all of the opinion polls, Theresa May went into the uh, and the Conservatives went into that general election with a twenty-point lead. Uh, in the opinion polls. In the end, she lost her overall majority. Uh, she's still in power, but she's being propped up by a gang of wackos in uh, Northern Ireland called the DUP. Um, and the uh, uh, Labour Party, who were sort of a, mm, well, we'll Brexit, but we want to, a, a softer Brexit, uh, made some unexpected gains. Um, it turned out that there was a big piece of research uh, done, which is, has just come out. 30,000 people uh, were polled. Uh, the largest piece of research that was done was an exit poll, and it, it turned out that stopping a hard Brexit was the number one reason for, for, for people voting as they did. So people voted for Labour, even though, um, because they perceived that because Tim Farron had done this, was, was weak and was never going to do it, the Labour Party would at least temper uh, the uh, temper that Theresa May's hard Brexit. So that's how that shut down. Um, it's a fascinating place to be politically at the moment. And, and tumultuous. It's, it's yes. Day by day, it's the more and more stuff is yeah. coming through. Unlike the calm politics of the USA. <laughs> yeah. Well, by the way, so that's a good point, actually. So, so you are the new European, and you've got Donald Trump um, on the cover of the sure. newspaper. And the stories in there are, are, are talking about ways that you can see the US relating to Europe. But I think that shows straight away that you're, in a way, you're moving beyond your brief. Yes, you're, sure. You're talking about wider issues. Yeah, we're talking a lot about we're talking a lot about uh, uh, Trump, the Trump presidency, US politics. Uh, we're talking a lot about European business and about European culture. We have thirty pages about sixty-four every week is about. European art and music and culture, um, and uh, and look, obviously we're talking about the British media uh, and how they influence uh, the, the disastrous uh, uh, referendum, which is the thing in our current issue about uh, the Daily Mail and the Daily Express. You can see their logos at the top there. They're two right-wing newspapers in Britain played a very influential part in the referendum. Have told lies about the EU and about immigration for several years uh, and at the moment they are shocked to discover having called for much stricter uh, laws on immigration that, that British people are now having to queue up uh, for about 20 minutes to get their passports through. So they're horrified by this.
<laughs> states of the states of British yeah. media. So it's yeah. So it's it's it isn't uh, it isn't me. It's not a man in a bar rapping on about Brexit. There is much more to it than that. <laughs> Although I, if I'm in a bar later on, I will rap on to you about Brexit <laughs> if you want to approach me. Also, I was going to say Nigel Farage is a man in a bar ranting about he Brexit. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in how you actually do this sense. So you you began with this really really short uh, gestation period. Yes. And you're now running this with four full time staff. So maybe tell us a little bit about how did this thing actually come to pass and how are you actually running it these days. So um, well, it came to pass on the the morning uh, of the referendum when Matt Kelly, who is the editor of the New European, and I uh, were in. Uh, London, we're in Shoreditch in London, we went for coffee, uh, it looked like we had, uh, we walked into a coffee shop, it looked like we had walked into a funeral, uh, everyone in the shop was downcast, everybody in the queue was talking about this, um, this great national disaster, how Britain was a laughing stock in, in Europe and the world, uh, about how the result um, didn't seem to bear any uh, resemblance to the, the sort of inclusive and open London and Britain that we know. Uh, and so we said there really should be something done about this. Now, I went away, I've worked in, I've launched a lot of, I've worked pretty much in digital for uh, the last two decades. And um, I went away thinking that we should launch uh, something, we could launch something really quickly uh, in a matter of hours rather than days. That would be a, a, a digital force. I don't know whether people are familiar with a thing called the Canary or Evolve Politics, which are two UK left-wing uh, websites that have got huge following. They create very viral, um, uh, rapid response sort of rebuttal content um, and I, I went away thinking that we could do something like this. Now, Matt was absolutely right when he said, no, this has got to be a print product because people will want to show this as a, as a badge of honour, as a lightning rod. People will want to carry this under their arm. They will want to read it like that on the bus to show that they don't agree with this bullshit either. And that is exactly how it has panned out. Um, it is, uh, new European readers are extremely passionate, uh, we have a lot of reports, of, we get lots of letters and emails from people who buy three or four copies of the, the, the newspaper every week, particularly people who live in areas which voted leave, and they leave them in the pub or they leave them on the bus, or they can just walk around in the shops showing that I don't agree with this and I don't agree with you and there is something different and we are the resistance. There's an all, there's another thing which we are trying hard to discourage and we're not trying hard to discourage it at all. We get sent loads of photos every week of people who go into news agents and they cover, there's a big stack in the New European every Thursday and they cover up the Mail and the Express with those, and then they send us photographs of them. <laughs> but I would not like to encourage that behind And you also have um, Euro prices on the cover, so... We do, so we're available in, in a lot of uh, train stations, airports, big and bigger uh, news agents in, uh, in about 30 European cities, I think. Yeah. You're, you're making a weekly uh, newspaper, 64-page yeah. tabloid newspaper, 
with four full-time staff? No, it's not even four full-time staff. So, um, so I have another uh, full-time job. Uh, Matt Kelly has another full-time job. We we sort of run the content for Archant, which um, which is as you said is a you know it's a traditional local newspaper company. We publish two titles which are among the oldest newspaper uh, titles in Britain. They've been going. One of them's been going for nearly two hundred years, I think. The other one for about hundred years. Um, uh, we are have, they local newspapers? They are local newspapers. They're in the, they're in the east of the, the, the country, those two. Um, but we have newspapers and magazines dotted all around the country, but local newspapers. We, don't, we didn't have a national newspaper until the New York Day. We have one guy who is full-time, uh, and we have the use of a designer for most of the time. Um, so, but, so really, it, it is a, a, a part-time thing and a labour of love for for us, uh, which means a lot of late nights and extra working. Uh, we've had some fantastic contributors. A lot of them, uh, especially in the early days, said, I don't want to be paid for this. Um, I just want you to keep going. And now we're in a position where we, we can pay and we are going to keep going. And so you, you've talked about this as being almost like a startup within a yeah. media company. Yes, that's right, yes. I think one of the most, I mean, there's so much innovation here um, it, it, from an indie side, one of the things that I've seen from working for large, uh, large um, and traditional heritage newspaper companies um, over the last few years has been a real willingness to experiment. And some of the interesting, most interesting things that I've come across have been things that have been done by large publishers as we sort of look around to see what are we going to do next, what is a way of doing something that is interesting, what's a way of connecting with younger audiences who don't necessarily look at newspapers. Um, so uh, I, I previously worked um, at a company called Trinity Mirror, they published the, the, the Daily Mirror and they published, we, we, there they did a couple of startups within a huge organisation, there was a thing called Us Versus Them which was a sort of left-leaning uh, left uh, social website that published kind of really innovative uh, gaming, game content. So when we were about to, a typical example of us versus them was when it was decided a few years ago that, that we wanted to get together as an international community and bomb Damascus, uh, we published a, a game called um, called uh, Where's Damascus, Don't Ask Us. Um, you, were, you were invited, you were presented with a world map and you were in, uh, invited to press on it where you thought Damascus actually was. And millions of people played this game, shared it um, all over the place. And, uh, and obviously very few people actually knew where Damascus was. We actually found out that um, quite scarily, one of our biggest um, user bases was at the Ministry of Defence in London, who would have fired the rockets in the first place, and their guesses were, were miles away from Damascus. So that was a really interesting thing that was done by a major publisher. The Telegraph uh, have done lots of interesting things. Uh, the Times have done lots of interesting things. We did a lot of interesting things at, at Trinity Mirror. So this was a really good example. So when we when we went back. On the Sunday or Monday, the referendum was on a Thursday, we were all depressed and drunk on Friday. When we came in on uh, Sunday, 
Monday and said, we think we should do a newspaper about that, they were able to say, that sounds like a really good idea, how quickly could we do it? And we were out the Friday, uh, not the Friday immediately after the referendum, the Friday after that. So it took us less than two weeks. And, and so do you think that we're going to see more of this in the future? Because these newspaper companies can't make money in the way that they made yes. before. They have to innovate and do something. Yes, I, I, I definitely think so. Um, I think there is a lot more room for innovation. Uh, I think the, you know, these, these tumultuous political times mean that there is, um, that is, that is an open market. But I think you will, you know, you will see people doing pop-up stuff around a lot of, a, a, a lot of different things, arts and culture. Food is something that I think a lot of people are looking at uh, now Britain is, uh, now we have slightly better food than we did before we were in the EU. Uh, obviously we'll go back to having terrible food again in March of 2019. Um, so people are, yeah, a lot of publishers are looking at innovative things, video things, uh, a lot of people are, I mean, for, you know, a lot of publishers now are, are looking at voice, I think, because there's the, the next thing, how can we innovate in that? You struck me this morning, so I was reading the paper, and I noticed that um, like the trading name for Argent is Argent Community Media. Yes. And obviously that makes a lot of sense when you're making small local newspapers, you've got a local community. And it struck me that so the Eastern New European then just, it's another form of community. It's another community, yes, exactly. It's another, it's another passion centre, you know, my... A lot of my history has been doing stuff um, about, uh, although I was at the, the Daily Mirror for a number of years, uh, has been doing stuff that is for uh, smaller and loyal audiences. So, um, so I was involved in doing a sort of a, 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 one of the, the earliest websites that was about football fan culture, uh, and I think that um, I think that you know that, that, that idea of a community, not of a geographical community, but a community of like-minded th people is obviously something that people will do more and it's obviously represented by what everybody does here too. So I'm interested to know how things have changed for the newspaper over the last 13 months and what stuff has come along that you've really learned from and been surprised by? Uh, well, I've been surprised by the passion of our audience and the the demand, I imagined that uh, I really did imagine that four weeks that after three weeks we uh, people might get tired of us. I also imagined that after three weeks people might just um, I, I, I think we all imagined that this whole process would have been managed in a more uh, in a more responsible and capable way than it's actually been uh, managed. Um, so that has been a great boon to us. It is writing about Brexit and doing a newspaper about Brexit is, is it is kind of like the, having a reporter's notebook or a, a phone, an iPhone camera at a slow motion car crash. There is, there is so much detail, there is, is so much to unpick, there is so much stupidity um, on, a, uh, on a, 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 it seems like an hourly basis. Um, to record, um, uh, we've I mean we've learned that the, the audience responds to 
very different things. Uh, we've published a lot of really long stuff, which people respond to in a great way. We have published one of the most popular things that we we have published has been uh, a series of um, artworks, which we published uh, Brexit-themed artworks, which we published as um, posters in the centre of the the newspaper, which people could take away. Um, we, we're just we're learning all the time, but we are really learning that we've got a um, a very very loyal base uh, of people who don't agree with this, and it's growing. You know, we, we are we're continuing to grow uh, every week. We are continuing to publish on a weekly basis now letters from people who say I voted Leave and I really regret it. I never imagined it would be like this. I've seen your newspaper. Uh, and I want to share it with my friends. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a really great thing to be involved with. And so, as you're going, as you're growing, in what ways has the paper itself changed? So, so for example, you went from a Berliner format to yes, yes, we went. So, so we originally published in a Berliner format, which um, which uh, a lot of uh, you guys would be familiar with. That was, uh, we were printed at the, at the Guardian, which is still a Berliner format newspaper at the moment, but the Guardian is, is moving towards a format that is more like that. Um, so um, so we've, we've moved away from that. We originally, uh, we're, we're, we're now we've been uh, in that format for four or five weeks now. Sales have grown again. Uh, which is really encouraging. Um, is that like that's as a result of the format change? That's a, I think I think it is. You know, I think there's an extra visibility. It doesn't have to be folded over on a lot of shelves. It's 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 more visible. Uh, it's more visible now. Berlin was a beautiful, really beautiful product. Um, we we now print this ourselves, um, and um, uh, we're able to get it out to subscribers much quicker. Um, so we've seen a rise in, in subscribers. Uh, two, originally we had 48 pages to represent the 48% of people who voted uh, <laughs> to leave. Maybe we should have 55 pages now, 53, we've actually gone to 64, which I think will probably be representative of where we are in, uh, this time next year. Maybe we'll be at 80% at 80 pages. Well, you're going to keep adding pages, yeah, that's keep right, adding yeah. work every week. <laughs> it seems to me that... Uh, a big part of the appeal of the paper is this insurgent tone that you've got. You have a very uh, combative and irreverent tone in there. You, you, it's almost kind of private eye in the yeah. way that you have nicknames for particular people and, and like, you know, characters within this. Yeah. Again, is that a deliberate conscious move for you? Yes, it is. Um, and we do get letters and mails and uh, tweets from people who say, well, it's not very inclusive. You're basically saying that because uh, you're not trying to persuade me, you're basically saying that because I voted leave, you disagree with me or I'm stupid in some way. It isn't really, you know, my point of view is that there is an awful lot of media for people who voted leave, the Mail and the Express, the Sun and things like that. This is a, this is a, a, a newspaper for people who voted to remain. Um, we do have a lot of nicknames for people. It is very combative. I think we're helped by the fact that, um, apart from the, the Liberal Democrats who, as we said before, kind of dug their own grave uh, at the general election with, with, with the illiberal, having an illiberal leader, 
Um, the Labour Party are still not wholly committed to that. A lot of the, a lot of the, the, the traditional left wing, because of the perceived way that uh, being in the EU has affected uh, working class communities. Um, so a lot of the traditional left of Britain aren't quite on board with this, with the let's rerun it in five years, let's not try and do this right now. They're not on board with it. Um, they're still saying that Brexit should go ahead. That has helped us. You know, we've become a lightning rod for people who just go, fuck no, we shouldn't be doing this. Um, so yeah, so that's, um, that has helped us a great deal. And we do have lots of nicknames. The, the people who, as you, as you may know, the people who are the main instigators of this are Boris Johnson, who looks like a huge overstuffed clown, um, Nigel Farage, who is the leader of UKIP, who is basically a sort of nicotine-stained man-flog <laughs> figure. And then, uh, and then, uh, yeah. and then, uh, and then Michael Gove, who is um, his his sort of features represent the sort of it, it's an outward expression of the darkness of his soul. So, um, so it is. They are a carnival of grotesques that we are lined up against. So, yeah. Within all of this, what do you? What do you ultimately want to do? So if, if the new European succeeded, what would that be? So, well, as, I, I mean, success, I would, I would quite have liked it if we hadn't had to publish the, the new European in the first place. What's the, it's the magazine that somebody had to do, right? So, but I would have preferred it if this whole thing had not happened and it had just gone away and, We'd have all woken up on June twenty fourth and gone. Thank God for that. That's gone away for another thirty years. I suppose that all the ultimate success of the New European is um, is to um, to to influence uh, a rolling back of the hard Brexit to somehow um, to bring enough people with us onto our side to be a rallying. Um, a, a, a lightning rod, as, as we said, for a campaign that somehow overturns this or stops this from, from happening, or at least softens the worst of it. Um, I guess the ultimate, I guess the question is leading towards: Would it be, you know, would we pack up on the, the day after another referendum or at the end of Brexit? I think there is too much good and interesting writing in it. Um, the readers really respond to the European culture thing. Um, but UKIP, the, the party of the nicotine stain man from Farage, they, that, now they have been seen to, you know, mission accomplished, they've got their Brexit, they've helped push us to the cliff edge and shortly we're all going to go over the cliff together. Um, their vote completely collapsed at the general election. Whether a successful Brexit, uh, a successful retreat from Brexit would mean that people would stop buying us. I don't know, we'll wait and see, but I, really, I hope we get a chance to find out. Because if this happens, I mean, man alive, we are already have, look, hate crime rose dramatically, sharply and shamefully in the last, in the, the month after the election, and is still much higher, I mean, any hate crime is much higher than it should be, but it's still at an unacceptable level and it's gone up. We are the slowest 
uh, growing economy in Europe and the slowest growing economy of any of the world, the major world economies. The amount of applications to become a nurse in the UK from people who are born in Britain has dropped by 90%. And people see Britain, and uh, um, Britain that I know has changed dramatically in my lifetime from an insular, you know, um, it, racist place into a, an open and welcoming country and this is a disastrous step back for us. I mean not you know I could go on all day about the economics of this and um, we haven't we haven't even left yet. All that bad shit is happening now we haven't even left yet. So imagine what it's going to be like. I could go on all day about the economics of this but the saddest thing is that we are as a nation we are shutting the door to Things like this, you know, we're perceived to be turning our back on on Europe and, and European, our European friends and European culture, and that is a that would be, a, you know, that's got significant long-term damage for the whole country, for young people, the young people of the country. Yeah, it's really scary. Okay, let's move into something more positive. What can we look to from like so from the awards, from the circulation, from the profitability? What's the thing that you've done that you can say you're most proud of with all this? Um, well, I'm really proud of us getting it out in time. I'm really proud of us sustaining it. The awards, we've actually won six awards, six major uh, press awards, which was wonderful. It was really, um, we won the, basically the highest honour that we could in the two major uh, press awards. Possibly the best thing to come out of that was uh, that we were able to insult Paul Dacre, who is the editor of the <laughs> Daily Mail, from the podium as we graciously uh, accepted our awards and then he had to come up afterwards, uh, which was, that was really wonderful. Um, but I think that, you know, if somebody, if we hadn't done this, somebody else would have done it. And I'm really proud, um, I'm really proud of Matt, for saying it must be a newspaper and for being there. Matt, I mean, Matt Kelly is a phenomenal journalist I've worked with for many years. Um, I'm really, but I'm really, really proud that our company, um, when that didn't say that is a crazy idea, what have you been doing? You know, they, they went, yes, that absolutely needs to be this. And, you know, Archant is a traditional newspaper publisher, okay, our, CEO um, uh, used to be, he was the CEO of ITV and our chairman, uh, Simon Bax, worked at, at Pixar. Um, but it's a traditional newspaper company. A lot of the shareholders of our company are not people who would associate with something that was, you know, non-traditional and left-wing. So I'm really proud of that. And, uh, and again, the audience continues to surprise and delight me, not just that we, so many people buy it and so many people subscribe, but that they are so creative, our letters page is tremendous, the art that people send us is incredible, um, and I do get an enormous rush of pleasure every Thursday when I see those photos of people who have taken our magazine, our newspaper and covered up uh, the magazine, the, the newspapers that caused all this in the first place. I think we're going to have some time for questions after this. Okay, so there's a, we'll have a bit of time for questions. So do you think of anything you want to ask uh, Steve? But classic closing questions, Steve. Yeah. So what's coming next for the European? 
we will continue to grow uh, in the physical product. We are now um, about to do a lot more digitally along the, the lines uh, of the stuff that we wanted to do at the start. So a fairly rapid rebuttal uh, use service. A lot of what these people say isn't very sophisticated. Their arguments are um, fallacious and easily exposed. Um, I mean, you know, we were talking, we were talking before, or I was talking to, to Jeremy before, how, about a month ago, Boris Johnson said that if the EU thought we were going to pay anything to exit from the EU, that they could go and whistle. And now, apparently, this morning, Boris Johnson has said, when I said that, I actually meant we were going to give you a very generous leaving settlement and have all this money. So, so we're going to we're going to experiment um, with a lot more of that kind of content, a lot more video content too. Excellent. Do we have any questions for Steve before we go? I'm not very familiar with the British market, so you are selling 20,000 copies. We sell around between 20 and 25,000. How does this compare to the Sun and the other tablets? Oh God, they sell, they sell tens on, yeah, hundreds of thousands more. So the Sun is the most, the best-selling newspaper in Britain. The Daily Mail is the second best-selling newspaper in Britain. They sell probably about a million and a half copies every day. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit, um, maybe a little bit more, um, but not yet. Um, but their influences, like all national newspapers in the UK, their influences declining. Even five years ago, ten years ago, certainly they were both selling three million copies a day. And a massive, significant step politically is so again with this general election, we've just had the Sun, the Mail, several others had vote conservative yeah. on the front page and it actually was really striking that people didn't just do what yeah, they yeah. told them. Those type I mean there is no um, we are we're very partisan, you know, it's it's this is what we're saying and that is the tradition of tabloid newspapers in the UK. As as Stephen rightly says, they will they will before an election they will say you should vote for for this. And part of the reason that this nightmare is unfolding is that the Mail, the Express, and the Sun have consistently lied about this. I mean, just flat-out lies. And, of course, the campaign lied about it as well. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Leave, the official Leave campaign. Uh, they had a battle bus during the election campaign, a big red battle bus, and on the side of it, it said, we send £350 million a week to the NHS uh, to, to the EU, and we're going to give it. To, if you vote Leave, we're going to give it to the NHS instead, which is our national health service. It's under great strain. It's a it's a wonderful thing that we should all be proud of. A lot of people were persuaded by that. We've since they've since admitted that the actual figure that we send to the EU every week is not three hundred and fifty million pounds. It's one hundred and fifty six million pounds, and we get back all of the training arrangements and everything that makes the EU great. So a complete lie. And they're not going to give it to the NHS because they're going to need to spend it on this ridiculous Brexit and propping all of this up. So based on total lies and disinformation. Um, and uh, and that is the you know that's why we, we have to do this and we have to we've got to resist this. Thank you.
So I want to know, you said, what it is you want to do. What I want to understand is how you do it. Like, what kind of stories you do. Because you said there was a lot of, you, you know, you can make the economic argument all day, but I think there was yes. a lot. A lot of the debate was about economics. Yes. You also pen love letters to yes. the European Commission? No. no. So I think we... Well, I think, so I think we all, I think everybody agrees that the EU, like any huge bureaucracy, does some stupid things and some bureaucratic things. Um, we, so a typical issue of the, the, the new European would, it would include something about the latest political developments in, uh, in the UK and what that means and how that's going to shake out. Um, it would include something, uh, something long form uh, about the process of Brexit, but also this. I mean, we also do quite a lot of uh, reportage. This week we have a tremendous piece um, from a guy called Anthony Clavain, who's a really great writer, author of several books about declining working class areas in the north of England, and he went to um, a, an area that voted. Uh, not only voted leave, but has the highest proportion of um, uh, of baby boomer sort of age people in the UK, um, and uh, I mean that's that's a, a huge thing. That the vote really divided along um, age grounds. So the young voted uh, to remain. In fact, all of the groups voted to remain, apart from pensioners. But because old people vote, turn out to vote, because they've been doing it all those, those years and they remember why it's important to vote, because they were around um, uh, when, uh, when all this uh, went down. So they voted and they split 60-40 um, to, um, to leave and that's what ultimately swung it. Um, so there's reportage, there is, um, there is Euro news, there is art and culture, typically will serialise a, uh, a, a, a book or a piece of work. So there's a series of long-form essays and then there is stuff that I do which is mainly insulting people like Nigel Farage. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good, it's um, You just mentioned that you are planning to develop a physical medium. Um, what do you have in mind for that? A another physical medium? Yeah, the, the newspaper. Oh, sorry, well, I, I think we'll just continue to grow the, uh, I just think we'll continue to grow the newspaper and, and digitally we will, we will go in, in different directions. Um, but I think we would like to, I think one, one thing we've, we've learned from this is that we would like to launch more pop-up things, more, um, more things that feel like a start-up within a big organisation. Um, and, you know, they... They, they needn't be, maybe, maybe it would be about a football team, maybe it would be about a part of a type of uh, music, maybe it would be about something, something else, I don't know. Um, but, as I say, you know, you could quite easily now, a lot of people have said, why don't you, why don't you come to the States and do a, a pop-up anti-Trump thing, um, which you could quite easily do. Again, there, you've got a really polarising thing happening and a very, it strikes me, the traditional left wing and the Democrats are, are screwed, right? They're really weak and ineffective. So um, even though things like the New York Times, Washington Post turn out an enormous amount of great stuff about Trump, uh, 
and the political uh, process all the time it strikes me that you could quite easily um, find enough to write about uh, about Donald Trump. Yeah, so I wouldn't rule out doing another political thing as well. A lot of people say, why don't you do something? Why don't you just hire a load of right wing guys and do do one that's, that's about uh, why it would be great to leave the EU? Um, I, I wouldn't like to work in that office. But, uh, <laughs> um, Steve, could you explain something you said yeah. about the Yes. Which is looking at voice, that's the next thing. Um, so, um, so, yes, so I think publishers are, in the same way that we all looked at video a few years ago and when there is obviously something happening in video and it's a way that, um, that we can connect to a younger audience, I think publishers are starting to look at um, stuff that... Uh, so at the moment, on, on, on something like uh, Alexa or Siri, you can get some very basic, you could ask Siri to read you the headlines, you could ask, you could ask Alexa to read you the headlines from our local newspapers in, um, in East Anglia, and you could ask it to read you the headlines of the New European. But what is that going to look like a few years down the line? I think that's something that's really, that's really interesting. We already we do a podcast that is basically if you've enjoyed the insults about Nigel Farage, there are forty minutes of them every week uh, available on the New European podcast. They're not new insults; they're the same insults. Hi, Steve. Hi. Um, I, I find um, everything you're saying as, as a fellow Brit is very entertaining, and it's a great uh, source of. Um, uh, I don't know what the word is of, of Gallows humour. Getting rid of, of, of the angst over the situation we're in, in terms of the, the abuse and the anti barrage etc. And that's great. Um, have you found since you, I mean, look, since you first launched it, and it was just a, an initial four week uh, run, now it's over a year later, have, have you tried to focus more on the positive side and try and try, uh, try not just address people who are already on side, but try and sort of sing the praises of the EU a little bit and try and yes. persuade people. Yes, and I think that is something that is really important. The EU has had a tremendously bad reputation and although it's tried to defend itself, it did it in a, in a, a very um, corporate way, um, um, which really, they sort of failed to connect um, with, um, with, with, with people. So. We are, we've done an enormous uh, amount of um, a growing number of, of stories about positive things um, uh, that the EU contributes and could contribute. Unfortunately, an awful lot of them tend to be about, they, they tend to be about what we're about to lose. Um, because the, the irony, the tragic irony of this is that those working class communities that I was talking about earlier on, um, uh, one of them was that the, I mean the highest um, one of the highest votes and one of the earliest votes on the night when we sort of went actually this isn't going our way um, the highest one of the highest votes for leave was from Sunderland um, which is an area uh, it's got a lot of um, car plants in it or it, it has now um, and they were the they voted overwhelmingly to leave and they, they are the recipients of an awful lot of EU money, funding, um, a lot of the art stuff that we've done uh, is obviously um, 
is obviously um, supportive of the enormous work that the EU have done to subsidise the arts. Again, um, I mean, the arts in the UK is, is it's a, that is a that is a frightening sphere to be in without some of that support. I think. Um, so I think that we are attempting to counter a lot of the lies um, that have been uh, propagated. Um, we probably we are probably preaching to the converted though to uh, to a, a certain extent. Although, as I say, it is wonderful when you get those letters and those emails that say, I voted for Lee, I genuinely voted for Lee, I believe that this was the right thing to do, and now it, I realise that it is a nightmare, and how can we stop this? Um, you said, um, and it's quite obvious uh, from your colourful language, that, that you are preaching to a convert, uh, people who think that those people are fuck frogs. So, um, do you undertake any specific measures to uh, kind of reach the other side, to uh, grow your audience uh, into a hostile area? Uh, it's difficult because we are so partisan. Uh, we, are, we are really deeply partisan. Um, we have, so, so we're doing some, we're beginning to do some interesting things in social media. Um, uh, which are which point out very basic facts about what was promised by the league side, what the actual reality was, uh, what we actually stand to lose and stand to gain. Um, I think those kind of direct messages um, spread virally through social are probably a, a, the best way of getting to it. I don't think that many people on who on the leave side or on the hard leave side. I don't be persuaded when when they pick up a copy of the New European. In fact, I think it's going to make them really, really angry and hate us even more. It calls snowflakes and cooks and all that stuff that I've been called several times by these people. Um, but I think so. I think through social, through Facebook, um, we can start to sort of win, do some of that hearts and minds stuff. Um, and look, you can see it. You know, the the, the polls are moving our way. Okay, it's, it's too late um, and it's very likely that we will have to go through with this, if it's, even if it's only for a few years. You know, there's a, there was a piece of work done because of the way that the, the ages stacked up and most people who voted to leave were old people. So if you re-ran it in 2021 and the same proportion of people voted um, in, each, in the same way in each of those categories, Remain in the UK actually would have won because a lot of the people that voted uh, to, to leave would have, would have died by 2021, um, which isn't really much consolation. Um, I really do believe that this will be reversed, but I think we may actually have to suffer, we may have to jump off the cliff and, and, and suffer this for a bit longer. It gives me no real pleasure to, to say that. Interestingly, there was another piece of research done recently where people were asked, remaining Leave voters were asked, would you like to, remain voters were asked, would you like to see Britain suffer real economic hardship just to prove you were right? And only 29% of Leave voters, of remain voters said that they would. They'd like to see economic um, strife in the UK just so they could say, I told you so, to their mates who voted leave. When they asked 
people who voted to leave, if they were prepared to see that one of their family members lose their job as long as Brexit went through, 61% of them said that would be fine. 61% of people said they would be prepared for their partner, their children, to lose their jobs, to be thrown out of work just to get Brexit through. So, you know, maybe we're, I don't know, maybe we're, maybe we're better people than they are. I, don't know, I really don't know how to, to respond to that. Incredible. Did, how, how are we doing for time? Is it one more? Okay. I remember there has been a newspaper called The European, yes. which was a weekly one reporting on European politics. Yes. Is there any connection between the new European and that European? No. Uh, no, the, the European was, um, yeah, uh, that, that stopped publishing shortly after the, the, uh, the death of Robert Maxwell, who you might remember was a large uh, press baron, uh, a sort of, um, uh, it was a kind of naturalised Czech uh, with sort of weird connections to, um, to um, the Israeli secret services. And he owned the, the European, um, I think he, he picked it up from someone, um, and uh, he died in very mysterious circumstances uh, in the late 1980s, early 1990s. Um, he fell off his yacht, uh, whether he was pushed off his yacht or not, I don't know. Um, um, and then it was revealed that he it was an enormous fraudster, the Daily Mirror, uh, nearly went bankrupt because of, of that. He basically raided the newspaper's pension funds in order to buy it in the first place. Um, so I'm happy to say that financially we have nothing to do with the old European, but it was, it was a very worthy newspaper record about everything that happened in Europe, and, and probably its time was, um, it was, it was a, a, a bit sort of international herald tribute, right? Um, it was a beautifully designed thing. It, it, that, we've got that in common. Uh, we are, in common with all of your uh, things, we are a really beautifully designed um, uh, title. But yeah, we don't have any connection with it. Okay, well look, Steve, thank you very much for coming. I think that seeing the sort of passion that you're putting into this is the sort of passion that we're very used to seeing in independent magazines, but seeing that coming out of a corporate traditional newspaper company is really surprising and really um, inspiring too. So thanks very much. Okay, that's it for this week. It really is an extraordinary story of a newspaper that has found itself propelled forward by circumstance, or as Steve puts it, a pop-up that just hasn't been able to pop down. He also mentioned the New European podcast, so if you would like to hear more anti-Brexit chats, search for The New European in iTunes or go to theneweuropean.co.uk. They've got links to it from there, plus obviously a ton of other stuff. Or if you'd rather leave the politics out of it and hear more from pioneering independent publishers, search for Stack Magazines in SoundCloud or iTunes and you'll hear all of our previous episodes with magazine makers in there. And remember to follow us while you're there so we can deliver next week's episode straight to you as soon as it's ready. Thanks very much for listening all the way through to this very last bit at the end and we'll be back again next week. Thank you.